Thank you very, very much, guys. I, want, I truly do uh, appreciate them being willing to come this morning and, uh, and help out. And uh, man, I can't say enough. I love these guys to death. I also love each and every one of you. I absolutely love Miles Strait. Thankful for this church and the fact that through the years you guys have uh, allowed us to kind of step out of the box at times and try different things and that's what this ministry was all about. And I um, tell you a little bit about it in case you're not familiar with New Identity. Uh, I worked with Campus Crusade for several years on college campuses and about three years ago I had this crazy idea that maybe we could get churches to work together in a, in a community away from the college campus and possibly provide something for all the local churches. And, uh, and so that's what we do. And um, it's been amazing as I've sat down with countless other pastors and, and uh, they're 100%. I mean, it, it's around this community, it's mind-blowing how that everyone has participated. Even in the last two weeks, I've had other churches that have called now and want to be a part of what we're doing. Uh, most churches, in case you're not aware of this, struggle with college-age ministry. And uh, I forget what the percentages are now. 70, 80% of students that graduate from high school in 12th grade leave the church, and many never return. And so we've been able to try something kind of radical and crazy, and for some reason or another, it's been working. Uh, if you drive by out here on Sunday nights, you can see all the cars. And we have now, now don't get me wrong, they... They never show up at the same time. Uh, but we have about 75 students now that, that are participating in, in what we're doing. And so most Sunday nights we'll have 40, 45 students or so that, that come together. And it's been amazing to see what God's doing. This summer we're taking uh, some students. Got 15 right now. We're going to Cuba. And so I'm um, looking forward to um, seeing what that'll be like. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this, e this morning to Genesis. We're going to start in chapter 37, but I actually won't begin reading any verses until chapter 39. We're going to walk through the life of Joseph this morning, and I've done something similar to this before. Uh, we're going to walk through the life of Joseph. And, Joseph. and at the, ultimately, at the end of the day, there'll be three points at the end, um, but... Really, there's one main point that I hope that every single one of us here this morning we get from this. God has a plan for your life. I hope if nothing else, as we walk through the life of Joseph, you're able to see God has a plan. He has a purpose for every single person here this morning. It's oftentimes mysterious. We don't always get it. Can't see it. God has a plan and purpose when it's all said and done. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to come back to this verse in just a few minutes. But in, in Genesis chapter 50, around verse 20, Joseph looks at his brothers and he tells them what you intended for evil, God intended for good. God had a plan and a purpose. And hopefully that'll make more sense in just a second. When you go back to chapter 37, the life of Joseph, story time with Van for a little while, all right? So just bear with me as we walk through several chapters. Um, Joseph, 17 years of age when he pops onto the scene here. Shepherd. Um, one thing about Joseph you need to know is that he always wanted to do what was right. He sought to do what was right. He wasn't perfect by any means, but he wanted to do what was right and pleasing to God. And 
This caused problems with his brothers who always seemed to be getting into a little mischief here and there, along with the fact Joseph was his father's favorite. And that didn't go over well either. His father would give him presents like clothing, a coat in one case, and, and leave the other brothers out. So this caused problems. Well, Joseph also had the ability to interpret dreams. And in chapter 37, he had two different dreams. And in the first dream, he told his brothers, one day you will bow before me. So imagine how that went over. And then in the second dream, he informed his dad, you too will bow before me one day. Ultimately, the world will bow before me. And that didn't go over well with the father. Well, as time would go by, um, the brothers would find themselves out in a distant land, tending the sheep. Father would Jacob would send his son Joseph to check on and see how they're doing, if they're in need of anything. And he would head off. And when the brothers seen coming in the distance, they plot to kill him. We're going to get rid of this guy. One way or the other, we'll never bow before him. Then they change their mind. Well, maybe not. We, we don't want his blood on our hands personally. We'll just throw him in the cistern and leave him there to starve to death and die. And we won't have to witness it or see it. So when he arrived, they ripped his coat off of him, threw him in the cistern. Lo and behold, I mean, just miraculously, you know, it just happened that these Ishmaelite traders are making their way through, headed for Egypt. And they think, man, we can get rid of this guy and make some money at the same time. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver to these Ishmaelite traders. And they would take his coat and rip it up and pour blood on it and present it to their father as if he'd been killed by a wild animal. Kind of leave the family behind for a little while now. Make our way forward. Joseph would arrive in Egypt and there he would be purchased by the man by the name of Potiphar as a slave. I don't want you to miss this. Chapter 39 verses 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 39 verses 2 and 3. But the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of this Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph giving him success in everything that he did. Don't, don't miss that. It's not like at this point in the story, Joseph's lost. Or God's in heaven wringing his hands wondering what went wrong. God has a great plan. Joseph may not see it. He doesn't understand all of it, but God has a plan. And as you continue reading through chapter 39, it's fascinating because Joseph, despite his circumstances, seems to work hard. It's, it's, it's crazy as this is to say. It's like he wants to be the best slave he can possibly be. And he notices this. Potiphar notices this, recognizes this, and he becomes second in command of this very wealthy man's household. Probably giving him freedom at any time to have escaped and go home if he wanted to. But no, miles from his family in a strange land, Joseph seems to be content right where he's at. Joseph had a problem. I've said this before. He had a problem. Most of us guys here we can relate to. He's strikingly good looking, okay? And you guys know it's a curse. 
be strikingly good looking. And Potiphar's wife, she could see it and she's attracted to him. And she actually tries to persuade him to sleep with her countless times that he would reject her. And in chapter 39, verse 9, Joseph told her, it would be a great sin against God for me to do something like this. I will not participate in this. And one day she just physically attacks him. And he did what any man should do in the situation. He ran and she ripped his jacket off of him. And after being rejected by Joseph, she turns the story around and accuses him of trying to rape her. And he then is thrown into prison. Now let's read chapter 39, verses 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The Lord was with Joseph. It's almost as if you can say God has him right where he wants him. One of the most important things I believe in understanding the Bible, good theology, is understanding there are two perspectives in life. God's perspective and man's perspective. And we're crazy to even think that we'll ever be able to understand everything he's doing. All that does is leave people frustrated and discouraged. God's perspective man's perspective. We cannot even claim to know everything that God is doing. And I don't think necessarily Joseph's trying to. It was obvious to the warden, God is with this man. I mean, who else seems to be content in prison? Good attitude while in prison, despite his circumstances, he continues to do what God has called him to do. And that's what's right. Then you move into chapter 40, and here we go. It gets even more exciting here. Pharaoh gets mad. Two of the people that worked for him as cupbearer and his baker. Kind of uses them as an example and has them thrown in prison. While in prison, they are assigned to Joseph. He's watching over them. Joseph gets to know these two really well. Matter of fact, he can tell when something's bothering them. And on this one particular day, something was wrong. He confronts them. What's the matter? And they both are like, we've had these dreams and we know there's something to it. We know that God has a, a, something going on in these dreams. And immediately in chapter 40 and verse 8, Joseph tells them, I do not have the ability to interpret your dream. He takes absolutely no credit whatsoever. Only God can interpret your dream. And so they would tell these dreams to Joseph. Joseph listened to the first one. He tells the cupbearer. He said, well, three days from now, you're going to be lifted up. You're going to be given your job back. Just like before. Now, this is really important. Don't miss this. He tells the cupbearer, and you remember me when you're given your job back. Because I'm not supposed to be here. Been lied about and thrown in prison, sold by my family. I'm not supposed to be. Remember me. That's key in just a moment. The baker at this point, having heard this wonderful interpretation, he gets excited. Man, tell me mine. Tell me mine. Joseph's like, well, man, 
hate to be the breaker of bad news, but three days from now, you're going to be lifted up to you. You'll be brought before Pharaoh, but man, at that point, Pharaoh's going to kill you and he's going to place your body on a pole and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Sorry about that. Right here in chapter 40, this is, man, the sovereignty of God is just all over this. God's plan, God's purpose. I have found through the years preaching in different places and churches, people get really excited and start talking about the sovereignty of God and God's in control. You can get some big hearty amens in the audience. Just don't talk about what he's in control of. Don't get specific. You'll start losing people. People get mad. God's in control of everything. And you can see it right here in this story. It's all through the Bible. Over and over and over again. You see it here of all places. Three days later, just as Joseph said, these two men are brought before Pharaoh and Cupbearer's giving his job back, and the baker finds himself dead on a pole, birds eating his flesh. And here's what it says in chapter 40, verse 23. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. Now, you know what I say to that? No way. Apart from the sovereignty of God and divine intervention, did that happen? There's, there's no possible way. And let me give you an example here. Not Terry's here, but my uncles, Tim, Jimmy, they own a, a, an insurance agency. And Terry Street works there, one of our members. Jason Engel, who's normally here, he's, he works there. And so can you imagine if about a month ago... Tim, for whatever reason, fired both of these guys. And today, this morning, I tell both of them, man, come Wednesday, three days from now, come Wednesday, Tim's going to give you a call. And he's going to ask you guys to come back to his office, okay? And, and Terry, he's going to give you your job back. He's going to offer you your job. Your office is still there. It's yours. Go. But now, Jason... He's going to kill you, and he's going, to, he's going to place your body on a pole, and the birds are going to eat your flesh. Now, obviously, these two prisoners didn't have any choice in the matter. If Jason shows up for this, he's not that smart. But let's assume he's not that smart. And he shows up that day. Three days later, they both get a phone call from Tim. Tim calls them to their office. He tells Terry, you've got your job back, Terry. And I told Terry, remember me, just three days prior to this, remember me. When he calls you, don't forget about me telling you this. Terry gets his job back and Jason killed his body hanging on a pole on the side of Hickson Pike with birds eating his flesh. And you're telling me Terry's going to forget all about me? There's no way. No possible way. Apart from the fact God has a plan and a purpose for Joseph. And there's absolutely not one thing that will stop it. 
Can you imagine how frustrating chapter 41, the first verse there must have been? Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. Two full years. Stop for just a moment. I want you to think about this. What would your attitude look like at this point in the story? Sold into slavery by your family, lied about, thrown in prison, and forgotten. Think at any point you might be asking those famous questions, why me? God, what in the world did I do? Have you forgotten about me? And yet Joseph appears to be quite content. That's frustrating to me. He, he seems to be, the Lord is with Joseph. It's almost like at some point during all of this, Joseph has just stopped and evaluated his own life. It's like, he's, he's looked, I cannot think of, I cannot find anything that I've done wrong. It's not because of my own choices and decisions that I'm in prison like all these other guys. I can't think of anything I've done wrong. Therefore, God must have a purpose. Finally, there in chapter 41, it all starts to make sense. Pharaoh has a dream, and he does what any person would do that's lost. He goes to the world first. He asks the magicians and the wise men, what's the interpretation here? They can't figure it out. And then all of a sudden, it's like up in heaven, God goes, now, the cupbearer. Oh, yeah, there was this guy in prison. Two years ago, this guy in prison. He has the ability to interpret dreams. They cleaned Joseph up, took him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh explained these dreams to him. Oh my gosh, again in chapter 41, verse 16, the first thing out of his mouth, I will not take credit for this. I do not have the ability to interpret dreams and only God can. First thing. He tells Pharaoh, next year, seven years of prosperity, bumper crops like you've never seen before. Then the next seven years are going to be famine like you've never seen before. Therefore, I would prepare for those seven years of famine right now. And Pharaoh says in chapter 41, verse 37, obviously there is no one in my kingdom as wise as this man. I mean, if God is with this man, there, no one could be as wise as this guy. And he is put in charge of everything. Second in command of the kingdom. Everything in Joseph's life directed Potiphar to God. Everything in Joseph's life directed the warden to God. Everything in Joseph's life directed Pharaoh to God. Second in command of Potiphar's household. Second in command of the prison system. Second in command of the world. Almost like God just might have been preparing him for something. And by the way, everyone was commanded to bow before him from this day forward. Even come the famine seven years later, so widespread that even eventually his brothers and dad would have to come. And by the way, 
in order to be saved, in order to survive, you had to bow to the knee to Joseph. You wanted to eat, you had to bow the knee to Joseph. Every knee would bow. And the amazing part of the story is, is Joseph was not only put there to save himself and his family, now, thousands of years later, actually as a result of that, we're all saved. God gave Joseph a word back here at 17. He believed. He followed. Didn't always make sense. Trusted God. You got a plan. I'm just alone for the ride. I'll follow. Same for each one of us here. We got a lot of his word. Don't always make sense to us. Life in and of itself. We have his word. We follow. Three things quickly and I'm done. You can get so deep in the story of Joseph, and I want you to understand this, that really this, the story of Joseph is a parallel picture of Christ. Joseph was a symbolic picture in the Old Testament. It was an example of what people had to look to, of what Jesus was going to be like. But we're going to stay really shallow here this morning. Here's what God's shown me in the last week. Number one, God uses dysfunction. He uses people from dysfunctional families, okay? I mean, He just does. See it all throughout the scriptures. I think we can agree this guy comes from a dysfunctional family. When your brothers sell you into slavery and your dad, you are your father's favorite, that causes dysfunction, all right? God uses people from dysfunctional families every day. That's what he did throughout all of the scriptures. He can use anybody and everybody that he chooses. doesn't matter. There comes a point, though, in our lives where we have to own our life, take responsibility for our lives, and no more excuses. Doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Joseph had all the opportunities in the world to come up with excuses why he couldn't or shouldn't. Last night we went and watched the movie, I, I Can Only Imagine. The lead singer Mercy Me had all kind of opportunities to make up excuses for why he couldn't do this or couldn't do that. But there comes a point, you have to own your life and, if you will, start a new family tree. Put the old generational sins behind you and you move forward. God uses dysfunction. Number two, had Joseph had any say-so in this whatsoever, I'll promise you this would not have been the plan he would have chosen for his life. We all are naturally drawn to, as human beings, we are drawn to ease and comfort, the, the path of least resistance. I hate to be the breaker of bad news, but that's not normally the way God works. And there will be trials, and there will be tribulations, and God just, just could be preparing us for other things to come. Who knows? God has a plan for every single person here, and I'll promise you, your plan doesn't line up perfectly with His. 
And you can see it every day of your life. You can start off your day in one way, and by the end, it's gone haywire. God has a plan. But we can't fathom how our lives and our actions and our decisions and choices that we make every day, you can't fathom how it affects not only those people around you right now, closest to you, but years to come. Thousand years from now. You have no clue. Joseph had no clue how this is affecting people down, family, your family right now down the road. Joseph would not have chosen this path for himself. But it was God's plan. And last, definitely not least, Jacob, Joseph's father, would not have chosen that path for his son. Every parent here getting this? Jacob would not have chosen this path for his son. As a father, there is no way Jacob would have wanted his son to be sold into slavery and put in prison, forgotten. As parents, we would never purposely put our children in harm's way. God might. He might. He's God. He does as He pleases. And life, life is full of trials and, and tribulations. And we as parents, what we're supposed to do is teach our children, give them the example of having to lean on God. Be content in God, despite the circumstances they may go through. My friend Alan Stewart, a couple of weeks ago at Recoboth, sent me a, a picture. He'd taken a picture at the cracker barrel of a sign, and the sign said, Prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. Yet in America today, that's kind of the way it works, isn't it? We're out in front of the child trying our best to smooth it out as much as we can. And we can't keep up. And eventually, we're gone. And the truth of the matter is, in life, there will be lots of bumps and potholes and hills and curves. And Jesus called it narrow and difficult. God has a plan. And just like every single person here, proof that there is a God is that every person here, your DNA is different. We're all different. We all look different. We all act different. And everybody's plan is different. Now, don't get me wrong here when I say this. I'm not talking about other religions. I'm talking about as Christians, as followers of Christ, we've all got different paths that lead to Jesus. There's not a cookie-cut plan out there. And I think of anything at the age of 44, if the one thing I've learned is that I don't know everything. In 20s, when I started my ministry in my late 20s, I knew everything. 
I don't anymore. I honestly, most, I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I don't have all the answers at all. But what I am finding as being a parent, having two boys, I can't fix it all. If I would, I, if I could, I would. If I could control it, I'd fix everything. But all I'm supposed to do is try to live my life as an example, tell them, and most importantly, have my life in a place where I can pray. Outside of that, I don't know what else there is. Can't fix it all. God's plan is best. And hopefully, now when you move on forward to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, you understand that Jacob, the father, has died. And these brothers come before Joseph trembling on their, on their knees, begging, thinking, now that the dad's gone, now that my father's gone, he's going to kill us. He's going to put us to death for what we did. And they beg for forgiveness. And Joseph looks at them almost puzzled like, what are you doing? Can you not look back over our life and see this was God's plan? What, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He had a purpose. He had a plan. And everything. God had a plan. All things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I think the real question this morning is are you one of those who are you one of those who all things work together for the good of the wonderful news is you can be one picture that we have in the scriptures that's really clear is that when God said one day everyone will bow before you Joseph no one believed it. Everyone laughed, shrugged it off like no way. And yet the world would bow before Joseph. And the Bible also says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there are plenty, plenty of people that we see that laugh and make fun of that, and joke. But one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. 